It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone, to the FlowTrack Podcast. FlowTrackPodcast at gmail.com. I am Kevin. He is Gordon. Subscribe to the FlowTrack Podcast YouTube channel if you haven't yet. Also, subscribe to the FlowTrack YouTube account. Follow the FlowTrack Podcast on Instagram. Gordon, we got to give a shout out at the beginning of the show to uh, Rick Core on Instagram. Tagged us after watching last week's clip. You and I were incredulous about how all these running photos come to be. And right on time, Vanessa Frazier, Bowerman Track Club, posted a behind the scenes of a running photo shoot. And and he was nice enough to tag us and say, hey, here's a little bit of insight. And uh, we got to see kind of how this goes down. Although I will say, you and I don't think we're talking about this level of a photo shoot. We were talking more about a random picture in the middle of the street or uh, out on the trail there. But uh, a little bit of insight just in, into how the, the process of a photo shoot comes comes to pass here. So shout out to Rick for tagging us. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Tag us more if you're listening to this podcast or watching us or, you know, whatever. And it, I mean, yeah, that, that, that little back and forth looks like a more professional photo booth. But, like, there's, like, people – there are so many photographers just at every running event, like, yeah. just at the Houston yeah. Marathon. There's, like, everyone who's running has, like, a friend who has a camera and is good at taking photos. And then all of a sudden they have like a collection of documents of their entire like marathon or half marathon, which I recognize, yeah. which I saw in full scale here at the Houston half uh, yesterday. So. Yeah. And that's something that's changed in the time that we've been covering track. Don't you think? Like I remember going to the Texas meet last year during the pandemic and just being blown away. Everyone had their own Instagram photographer with them and that didn't used to be the case it was like there'd be one or two people there taking photos and they'd tag people and, and share it but everybody has their personal content creator are you still on the ground in houston by the way i am i am in hotel we decided to spend the night because we wanted to go out sunday night yeah. after the run and didn't want to drive two and a half hours back to austin on a sunday night so we spent the night we will leave this morning gonna get some tacos suggested by carl lewis that you and i had mm. When we yes. were in town covering the track team. So grab a go to the taco truck after this nice. podcast and head back to Austin, Texas. So Gordon. Yeah. Meet was fun. Going I mean, not the meet. On your reporting trip here. Are you doing more reporting? Oh, yeah. oh good, good, good. Uh no, uh, not, there's nothing else to really do report except for I mean we can go right into it. Yesterday I think was probably the craziest women's distance day of all time. The fact that we see Two American records in the same race in two different distances by two incredible women. You see, you know, Kira D'Amato, I got to be there right in the, the finish line corral. Her kids were there. Her entire family was there. And building up to this race, Kira was thinking American record, but then kind of took her foot off the gas pedal of kind of saying American record or bust. She kind of was like, hey, well, we'll see what happens. And well, what happened was she demolished it. She went out incredibly hard. She was like on 218 pace through the first half marathon or so and was able just to hold on and uh, just do something that I don't think anyone can really fathom, right? The fact that someone who was a collegiate runner and gave up mm -hmm. running 
went on to live their a regular life, then decided to get back into hobby jogging. And it's like, oh, maybe I could break three hours in a marathon. And then five, five years after saying the phrase, ooh, maybe I can make three hours in a marathon, you're breaking the American record. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, and so I was so surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised that she ran well because she's proven that she's now like an elite runner and she's going to be able to compete with the best of the best. But for it actually to happen in real life that she actually ran a time that was under 220, a time that was under Dina Castor's 219.36, Sometimes you guys see it to believe, and I just saw it, and I was, I was flabbergasted. I'm with you. Based on what she's done 2020 on, wasn't that surprising and just how the marathon has accelerated. But you take one step back, and you think, wait, we weren't even talking about her in 2019. And in 2020, we were talking about her as, hey, maybe she could work her way into the mix. She could be there in the last lap of the 10K or maybe the final few miles of the – Olympic trials marathon. And then she went a step beyond that. And Castor's career and D'Amato's career, you know, couldn't be more different just in terms of Castor took a much more traditional path. She was knocking out all those majors and you could just see, all right, the American record's gonna be hers versus D'Amato. Again, we could see it coming, but it was it only came into view in the past year and she took advantage of this opportunity seemed to be pretty good conditions out there gordon i mean you were on the ground it, it but we're and i know she had good pacing throughout did everything align perfectly for this attempt do you think yeah so the weather was a bit cold in the beginning but obviously once you start running and heating up it's it's great conditions one yeah. thing that kira had is she had perfect pacing so she had mm -hmm. like basically a mob of people around her to really block the wind for a majority of the race. And then when it got late in the race, she had one uh, pacer, male pacer, who there was like a point where he decided to let her go because she wanted to pick it up in the final two or three miles. But then he recognized that there was like a gust of wind coming. And so he mm -hmm. sprinted back in front of her, blocked the wind for a few more blocks, <laughs> and then went off again to let her go again. So, wow. Uh, they, they, he was being really scientific of like trying to make it as easy as possible, be with her throughout the entire ride, and it resulted in a 219. And this is the same pacer who was pacing Sarah Hall's American record attempt at the Marathon Project. Okay. Uh, and that, when he was doing that, that's where Kira recognized, oh, who is this guy? And mm -hmm. they put two and two, and then eventually they were able to meet up, and now three years later, he is now pacing her to an American record after, you know, being the sidekick to Sarah Hall at the Marathon Project three years ago. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the next step for D'Amato now and, and for the record itself? I'm of the opinion, and I mentioned this, I think, on Friday's pod, I think we're going to see more, a lot more sub-220s. I just think it's time. And on the women's half-marathon side, I think we're going to see a lot of people run these these performances. But what do you think's the next uh, progression for D'Amato and, and for the record for the United States? Well, she said in the press conference she still has 2024 on her mind, which is mm -hmm. kind of wild because I guess 2024 is in two years, but I think she'll be getting even closer to 40 by the time we get there. So, but hell, you just broke the American record. You have to think you are top three shape if you can run 219. Yeah. You, you think two more years. She, she may be on the elder side age-wise, but her, her legs don't have 20 years of running in them. You know, they probably only have 10 years of running yeah. on them. So she kind of has this, like, you know, red shirt years that she probably is a lot stronger than typical 38-year-olds. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I was thinking about, she just broke the American record. Would you, if you were the USATF head person, orbiter of rules, you could just, you're the king of USATF, mm -hmm. would you kick off someone from the World Championship Amer uh, Marathon team for Kira D'Amato? And if you were, do it, who would you kick off? Because you have Molly Seidel, you have Emma Bates, and Sarah Hall. No, no. no you have no, an Olympi I mean... Olympic medalist, <laughs> half marathon American record holder and a top finisher in Chicago and Emma, Emma Bates. Would you take someone off? I feel no. like you have to, but you shouldn't. 
you have to, and also you shouldn't. I feel like it's very, I don't know. Well, here's because the situation. How can you say the American record holder is not on the top three to represent USA? There's, there's something weird about that. Well, yeah, but we've had this before where people don't make Olympic teams who have faster times. Yes, and Kenny Harrison factor. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Bates, Bates and Hall just beat her in Chicago. And then you're not going to bump off Molly Seidel. I don't think anybody would think you're going to do that. But they, they just ran head to head. They've changed the – they put in place the rules for that so late that maybe it would make sense. It's just, hey, it's a fluid situation. It's a living document. The qualification standards for world championships are just going to change every couple months. That might be a, a fun twist. But I don't – listen, she's going to have a shot to make the next team and the, and the team after that. I think this answers the question of her, what's her event because for a while, oh, it's 5K. Because she ran that 15-0 time trial in the beginning of the, the, the pandemic. And then she ran a 10K and then a half and then a marathon. And I mean, she ran the trials marathon. And that was the first, if you go back to it, the first little hint like, okay, she's, she's elite now again. So at least it answers the question of what race is her best. Um, or, or do you think there's still some mystery around that? No. You, you, when you break the American record in the marathon, the marathon is your best event. Yeah, but what I'm saying, I guess, is because she can't qualify for the world championships in the marathon, do you think she's going to go this summer and try to make the 10K team for Eugene? No, I think she might just be like, all right, let's try to win Chicago Marathon or win New yeah. York City or win one of the fall marathons. And then I think her next goal is basically try to win a major, right? Because yeah. now she goes onto the starting line and she looks at her time on the list. This is 219. You're like, all right, I'm in the conversation to win. Like, I ran 219. 219 yeah. low. So, like, I'm not just here for the the token American on the field, right? I'm a legit competitor. And I think she probably, if I had a guess, I mean, I don't know. I think her goals are going to be try to win a major in the next mm. one to three years. And in that process, make the 2024 Olympic team. Like, yeah. I think it's pretty much, I don't think track really, I mean, she may think like, oh, maybe the 10K, but I don't know. I think just get really good at the marathon. Build up. Yeah. Get, yep. Start getting higher and higher finishes at majors and really set yourself up. So when you're running that marathon trials in 2024, mm -hmm. you're just like a no-brainer lock. So mm -hmm. that's what I think she should do. And looking at the half, with Sarah Hall there again, you know, she's around the same age as D'Amato. Now they took very different routes to the American records, but they both were unorthodox in their own way. D'Amato not running for several years, Hall switching events, all the fits and starts. She talked about how she contemplated retirement, then goes to the roads. Even in the way she runs road races is a bit different. She races so frequently, puts herself out there a lot, but she breaks Molly Huddle's mark runs 67 15 um you got a chance to go to the press conference afterwards what were her thoughts on on actually getting this record yeah i mean she was just as kind of like in awe and kind of tears of joy type moment as kira was and i think also the fact that there's such cool little sy symmetry to her breaking a half marathon record on the same course, 15 years later, after her husband broke the American record in the half. And so now, like, the fact that the U.S. half marathon duo of the halls yeah. is just kind of all both being done in Houston, 15 years apart, very different career trajectories. She was sat on the back of the lead cart when Hall broke the American record 15 years ago. And little did she know that 15 years from that moment, she would be able to be on the other side of the the other side of the coin and be able to run an American record. And it she just looked smooth the entire time. There was she was confident. It was a unique situation where the eventual winner did pull away. So she kind of was running her own race. She was kind of winning her own the, she was in that leading the second pack. So there wasn't really the thought of winning the race early on because the eventual winner won by two minutes. Um and Sarah brought 
pulled along with her like incredible performances. Like Fiona O'Keefe ran out of her mind. She finished right behind. Dom Scott ran out of her mind. She finished close behind. So like there were other women that she kind of pulled along to have like not just a great day for Sarah, but a great day for Dom Scott, Fiona O'Keefe. And again, when you just look at both the the, the full marathon and the half marathon, it was just incredible performances all around. Yeah, and that's why that depth is why I think we're going to see this more and more. Now, a lot of it comes down to just the amount of opportunities you have and is the are the fields going to come together? Is the weather going to be great? But when you have O'Keefe and just on the American side, I'm not even talking about everybody else because Chepenko ran 65 low. I mean, that's yeah. one of the fastest. Like, that's one of the fastest half marathons that we've ever seen. It's 11th and, all time. Yeah. And then, you, and, then, and then you have O'Keefe and Durgan now moving well into the top 10. For the U.S., I think we're going to see this. Like, if you told me, is the women's American record in the half going to be in the 66s by this time next year? Like, after the Houston half next year, I would say yes. I think this is the start, the starting point. Yeah, I mean, within the next four years, do you think both of these records will be broken? Within the next how many years? Four years. Oh, yeah. Do you think yeah, we'll have a new think, U.S. Women's American yes. record holder in the marathon and half? Yes. I think the half will be gone by next year for sure. And then I think the marathon, may even it will be less than two years before that marathon record is broken. Less than, less than two years. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think the talent is there because it's not just about D'Amato, right? There's all that we've talked in, on and on and on about how deep U.S. women's marathoning is right now. Now, a lot of it's going to come down to opportunity. How many fast races are available that year? All it takes is, you know, you know, Houston having bad weather or Berlin or London having bad weather. Chicago, the pace, oh, there's no pacers in, well, no, there are pacers in Chicago now. The pacer screws up or something and then, and then the three chances dwindle and then there, there's few opportunities. But if they keep doing things like the Marathon Project or they have great race situations, then I think we're going to see it more and more. Because, listen, if, if the... If the front of the field is pacing for 216 or 215 or 214, like Bridget Koskai, and they're able to run those marks, I think you're going to have a, a trickle-down effect where the women behind that group are going to get pulled along to fast times, and just the depth is there for them. All right. You can't discount the, the shoe factor, too, obviously. Go ahead. I mean... Ryan Hall's record has still stood here for 15 years. Yep. Rupp came within four seconds of it in 2018. The uh, marathon record, 205.38, set yep. in 2002. That's even longer. That's 20 years. Rupp came within about 40 seconds of it in 2018. When are, when are the men going to start having the same type of, yeah. you know, dominant era of one after another after another you know flirting with an american record breaking american record another new top 10 um yeah when will when is it when is it gonna be the the boys time to shine here <laughs> are we gonna see it in this time like or do we still have to wait another five or another cycle another 10 years before we have a new fresh crop of dudes who can come in and start running i'm running gonna run 205 this year or i'm gonna yeah. break 60 this year yeah, that's a harder question to answer if you want me to give you an exact date. I can't because it's not – you're right. There's not that depth. There's not that pool of people where you're like, all right, one of these 10 are going to pan out. <laughs> but the women, you have that advantage. And more and more seem to pop up every time you have a major marathon. There's another person who puts their name out there and you have to consider. So I don't, I don't know. But you look at the men, it's just a different type of – like – Sarah Hall, Kira D'Amato, they're re really relevant on the track too. Like they could go to the 10,000 meter trials and be in the mix for teams. Say, say obviously Emily Sisson won the 10,000 at the Olympic trials, the best half marathoner, um, or sorry, one of the best half marathoners, one of the best marathoners in the United States. The men, it, it, there's just no, the crossover isn't the same. And you could point to a bunch of different reasons why that's true, but we're gonna have to wait I think a little longer for the men. Now, like, who do you think is the best candidate to break it for the half for the men? Is it still Rupp? I mean, we can like 
be bold and be like, is it Connor Mance, right? Yeah, and it might be. Or is it Chalimo or something? Is it somebody who hasn't really explored the roads at all, but we know has good top end speed? Or is it a guy at the tail end of his career who's more focused on the longer stuff? With yeah. the women, it's just easier like, to see the path forward. Yeah. I don't know. But we did have a, a good male performance in Kirabella Rasa. You ran mm-hmm. 60 44, or number six all time on the US list. I talked to him post race. He was trying, he wanted to break the American record. That was his Maybe goal. Maybe it's him then. He said he got COVID. <laughs> he said he got COVID uh, two weeks ago and that kind of threw him off. But like in, in his mind, he's he thought, I'm going to break the American record at Houston. Mm-hmm. And it was his debut. He was like all in on, he has yeah. utmost confidence, this Kilbert Rasa guy. For those who don't know, Kirbel, he ran at Oklahoma State, was a good NCAA athlete. He's been kind of bouncing around different groups here and there, kind of struggling to get uh, sponsorships. He had like a Nike deal at one point, then he had a Hoka deal. Um, but a thing with uh, men's distance running, you're, it's really hard to hold on to a deal if you're not making top three at the mm. world team level. And he just was really good at being good at the wrong moments, right? He was mm. top of the top tier runner, but then when it came to the race day of the trials or race day of the U.S. champs, he gets fourth or fifth or DNFs. And uh, he now trains in Ethiopia, and uh, he's confident. He thinks he's going to make the 5K team. He thinks he can make the 10K team. Um, and he thinks that this 60-44 is kind of – proof that he's fit and he's able to, you know, he'll be able to, to toe the line with the Bowerman guys and everyone everyone in their mom who's going to be trying to make a world team in Eugene this year. Especially the yeah. fact that 10K and 5K are a month apart, so there will be no, like, tired legs for the 5 or tired legs for the 10. And maybe it is someone like that who ends up breaking it as opposed to someone who's more known. Yeah. Apparent. Yeah. Following a logical transition. So Tolosa won the half. He goes 60 24. You mentioned Arasa there in fourth. Pat Tiernan, who you highlighted before, six with 60 55. And Via Simbasa, seventh. What about on the marathon side of things? You had James Ngandu win it in 211. Top American was Frank Laura. You highlighted him as well, 211 32. Yeah, obviously, um, the headlines are kind of stolen by the women's field. Uh, yes. On the, the marathon side for men, I mean, 211, it's more, it just isn't the same type of, you know, top end talent that we had on the women's side. But, you know, it's still a win's a win. And Frank Lahr, who notably said, I'm going to break the American record in a half. You know, now he got his debut in the in the full run to eleven, and we'll see if he can improve and get down to sub two ten, and potentially over the next four years become a a contender. But we'll have to wait and see. So Let's talk about track inter- now. Don't talk about. Yeah, I just want to say all the interviews uh, that Gordon did are on the site if you want to check them out. But let's talk about indoor track. You highlighted the Coleman performance, first race coming back after the suspension that kept him out of the Olympics. He ran a 300 and then a 4x4. Four four. His 300, 33-20, finished second in his heat to uh, Kennedy Leitner. 33-20 is a PB, and then he got some work in in the 4x4, four four, running a leg there. I don't think we have the split on that 4x4. Four four. What does it all mean, Gordon? What does it all mean? Well, it's fun looking at this photo. Put, put this photo up, uh, Colt of Coleman running a a four by four split running in a running 300s it's just like a unique situation typically you don't see short stouty short sprinters doing uh four by fours but he, he was in the mix getting his legs ready to uh go up in the 60 at Milrose I mean you got this is good right he's running mm-hmm. you don't get off the couch and run 33 seconds in a 300 so I think it shows that he's been training and it shows he's been staying fit. And uh, when the time comes, he's going to be a factor. I know I made the bold prediction. Christian Coleman's going to be a factor. I know it's a stupid <laughs> bold prediction because how di- to, to say it's bold to say the defending world champion is a factor. 
but uh, for me, it is. I, I think there is a chance that he could have lost his his grip on the top of the of the arena of sixty sprinting and hundred meter sprinting. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. But you know, once well, you're out for two years, anything can happen. You could just eat too many Doritos, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh shit, where am I? I can only I can't break ten seconds anymore." Oh, like, yeah, could happen. I think. I think the shorter the distance, the smaller the margin of error, generally speaking, and the sharper you need to be. And the and he's going to hop into the shortest event in professional track and field in the 60 in a couple weeks in Milrose. And I think that's a sign of confidence that he knows he's ready to go because otherwise he would not jump in against that field if he's going to go and get fourth or fifth. I just don't think that's where his mind is at. And I think this is just entering a meet, running a couple races, off distance, instead of doing it as a workout, you put the uniform on and you go and compete and you get some of that going back to race anxiety out of you before it's time for the big show. But I just think the fact that he's entered, I'm not saying he's going to open with a world record, but I think the fact that he's entered in the 60, I think he knows he's ready and he just starts so well in those 60s and in those 100s that he's going to be the guy to beat until I see otherwise. I mean, how many times have you seen a bad Christian Coleman start? It's really hard to find one if you go and you look through. Now, he's been beaten in races before, but it's hard to find one where he's had a bad start. And in the 60, that carries so much weight. So I think this result just, just goes to show you he's fit, he's ready. And I think we're going to see big things for him. I mean, I have him ranked as the number one sprinter in the 60 because, listen, you have the top, all the top marks, and you've been clutch throughout your whole career when it comes to indoor competitions. You're going to have that until somebody else can beat you. I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters that he's been out. What'd you think of a uh, thing, Mo? Oh, see, yeah, Christian Coleman, top ranked, Romel two, mm-hmm. Baker three. Let's move on to another new topic. What do you think of uh, a Thingmo's mile debut? Has she run All a right. mile before? Yeah, she's run a mile before. Um, well, I'll just plagiarize what I said on this week in track edition. No one's run so fast while looking so bored as a Thingmo in this race. <laughs> because from the first stride, Gordon, she was ahead. And then she was lapping people. And this was not a fair fight at all. She kicked pretty well to close. But for a while, she was on about 440 um, pace. Crept just off of that. Was looking at like 445 pace. But she closed so well. It's just over distance work for her at this point. What's crazy to think about is how good she is in the quarter. And she's running the mile. If you think of her not as an 800 meter runner, which I know is weird to do because obviously she won the gold medal in the 800, but she's also one of the best in the world in the quarter. And then she hops in a mile. It's just fun to think about. Like imagine Michael Norman, Michael Cherry, Stephen Gardner, Allison Felix, Shawnee Miller-Weibo running a mile. That's that's the fun yeah. part of it for me is just looking at, at the range. But I mean, the second place was 513. Yeah. Or even not even a mile. Seeing Michael Norman run an 800 would be fun, right? Norman's more of like a two four guy as opposed to a four yeah. eight guy. But like yeah, it's also interesting, like, I don't know. There was why didn't she run the other heat? Why didn't she run up against Alexa Ephraimson? Like Ephraimson, yeah. Slower of this. I was wondering that as well too. I mean, all the women in this race have a cool story about the time they were on the track at the same time as a thing Mo. But yeah, yeah Ephraimson four forty six, I mean, that wouldn't have been close either. I mean, assuming I, I don't know. I don't know what the yeah. Ephraimson had no competition either. Ephraimson won by sixteen seconds. So this is like a semi, and then we never got to see the final, where you have two people completely overwhelming their competition, and then they never race each other. Yeah, it is interesting. Whenever we see these elite athletes, like world class, obviously, um, literally number one in the world, go up against athletes who are just like. It's like LeBron James playing with middle schoolers. You wouldn't see that, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing a LeBron James talent competing against JV 
ninth graders. Um, but, you know. No disrespect. Hey, no disrespect I'm you. excited for what she does. Does The fact that she's running a mile means she's definitely still staying super focused on this eight, which she should because she's the Olympic champion in the eight. But I'm hoping she doesn't shy away too much from these fours, right? Because yeah. her 400-meter yeah. ability has the chance to just skyrocket. And if, yeah. you know, I just don't want her to lose that 400-meter speed. I don't think one mile is going to lose your 400-meter speed, but I'm just being selfish, and I want her to run a 400 and an 800 she, at the same meet. That's all I want. She, That's all I want. For she's done this her whole <laughs> – She's done this her whole career, though, going back to AAU, where she'd go 200 through to the 1500. So I think she's comfortable with just being versatile. She's okay with doing everything. But I'm with you. I want to see a lot of 400s this year from her because I think it'd be a lot of fun. But I don't know if this means anything in terms of her event plans. I think similarly to Coleman, just get a race in. This is a workout, basically. Run even splits for 1200 meters and then kick hard and do a fast last quarter and then you're sharpening up for your actual indoor here's a question i wonder if she's gonna do world indoors that's what i wonder will we see from her indoor season more races over 700 meters or under 700 meters indoor season yeah She already has one over the 700. I'll say, I'll say basically one case, 800s and miles versus 600s, 400s and 300s. I'll say over, but my, one of my predictions going into the year, I don't know if I made it on the pod was that she'd break the American record in the quarter. That doesn't mean she's going to run the quarter at the world championships, but I think she's going to break it outdoors. And that would be one of the things on her list to check off, but indoors. Just seems a little risky to run that many quarters unless she's yeah. going to be in a race where she knows she's way out in front. It's just uh, some stuff can go wrong in there. So I'll get, I'll go over. What about you? I think I'll go over. I think she, I think the fact that she opened her season with a mile and not a one K or 600, I think is showing that she's kind of leaning more towards the higher, the longer distance this indoor season as opposed to the shorter distance that she focused on, you know, outdoor season of last year. Um, But we'll see. I mean, she was supposed to run the 1K at this meet. Like, she was slated to run a 1K, but she was the only one in it. And I guess last minute, she's like, all right, we're not doing the 1K anymore. We're going to be doing a mile. (laughs) Do you think everybody scratched out of the 1K to avoid her? And then she's like, all right, I'll just go to the mile then. You can't hide (laughs) from me. I went to this school. You have to think, like, what's kind of, like, she's going to do world indoors, right? I, I guess we're, it's not sure if that's happening. Does that suck Wait, that we're, like, the will you, not happening? you do a world? No, like, the, if oh, she's actually going to do it. Okay. I see, are, you, are you breaking some news, Gordon, about world indoors? No, 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 I'm not breaking. Yeah, it does suck. It sucks. And I don't like that part of the sport. I think she might do it, though. Yeah. I don't see why not. We should do a pod, maybe Wednesday's pod, where we go, we just name athletes and we interpret what sort of vibes they're giving off about whether or not they'd run world indoors. Love it. Because Coleman, I think yes. Because he's been gone for so long. Give me another gold medal. Especially in the 60, an event he's owned. He owns the 60. Like he's given off, I'm going to do world indoors vibes for sure. But some other athletes out there, they give off, hey, I'm going to show up once at the Armory or in Staten Island. Hey, guys, see you outdoors. Like Sydney. She's not doing it. Yeah. Right? I mean, every, every quarter miler or obviously four-meter hurdler because they don't really have it indoors uh, or at, at the World Championships gives off those vibes. But the, even – I guess that where it would be interesting with the, it would be like with the 800. Like I'm curious on Brazier because – so all of Union yes. Athletics went to this meet yeah. and they were posting a lot and there were, I think Brazier even posted on Instagram, a clip of him just ripping around the track. 
And I thought I heard on one of the clips Pete Julian say like 23 or 22 or something like that for a 200 split. So I think he's chomping at the bit to run. But they're also probably like, hey, let's not overdo it. But he has the buy. So he doesn't need to get ready for U.S. trials. So does he ramp up, run the 800 at World Indoors, then has some time to chill and build back up for outdoors? He's one I'm interested in. Do you think it's interesting that Union Athletics, a team that's based in Oregon, decided to come to Texas A&M? Or so there's the Brazier connection. In January? Yeah. There's a Brazier connection. Raven Rogers didn't run, but she's from Houston. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, was he, he wasn't coaching anybody at the Houston half or marathon, was he? Did Osako run? I don't I think so. I didn't see. No, I didn't yeah. see. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting. I mean, they got that new indoor facility in in Spokane, and obviously there's Seattle, but to get the stand, they wanted to get the standards for the 3K. So like Jessica Hall, Klosterhofen wanted to get those those women's 3,000 meter world indoor standards, and that was probably the best place to do it. And they didn't want to wait any longer, I guess. And they want to go to Boston. Yeah weather shorter shorter trip than boston yeah yeah Yeah, and they have enough well they have enough on the women's side they have enough women to where they can control the race and create their own fast pace they had sinclair johnson pacing so it didn't really matter where they went they just needed to go to a place where the meet was going to be run without a hitch and they'd be able to get their qualifying marks on the men's side and they got some good races in too so you look at the men that angles brandon miller race it was pretty fun in that men's eight. Miller edged him. But I think it's almost a good sign for Engels. I mean, this is guy this guy's one of the best in Miller, one of the best eight hundred meter runners in in the nation. And you know, the college kids get into shape a little sooner. Engels had talked about retiring last year and was down at Ole Miss. Uh so I, I think it was a good sign for Engels, just that he's still still in the mix, still sharp. Yeah. I mean, Miller is the real deal. I mean, Miller is basically, he's going to be finishing top five at USA's, I think. So he's going to probably run a 143 this year later on. So, yeah, if Craig Angles can go toe-to-toe with him, it's a good sign for his 1,500-meter chances down the line. You hand out 800-meter PBs like candy. It is amazing. Everybody should have as much confidence in you 800 meter runners as Gordon Mack does. Like, yeah, a man of career, maybe 139. Who's to say? Hey, I was technically right on the manual career prediction. I just was off by a few seconds and off by a few years on when he would win. <laughs> but he did end up winning the Olympic title. I just predicted it in like 2017. <laughs> Whatever. Brandon Miller, Brandon Miller, 143. You heard it here from Gordon first we've gone a long time gordon without mentioning i I think the biggest indoor result from the entire weekend and that's terrence jones of texas tech equaling the collegiate record in 645 this is huge for him that's a mark that is shared by christian coleman and leonard miles mills of byu 645 i i don't I didn't see this coming and I'm looking at your rankings and you don't even have him as the first Texas tech guy. He's not even on the the top eight rankings. So I'm guessing this surprised you. I looked at his results, his history, and no wonder you didn't have him ranked. Was there any indication this was coming? No indication at all. I mean, you look at his top time coming into this year. It's from 2021. He ran a 10.39.00 and a 20.36.200. Now that 20.36.200 is pretty good, but like there's a lot of people who can run 20.36. And 10.39, when you get even a shorter distance, 10.39 is like a, a good high school time. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense because he's only 19. That is, a, he, was, he, did, he did it when he was 18. So good high school time. Uh, but you would think in his first race out, if he's, going to be at this talent he runs like 661 
for 662. Yeah. And even on a crazy day, 659. But to go all the way down to the, into the 640s in race one, where your previous 100 meter PB is 1039, that is a hell of a drop in one year. Like June of 20, June 25th, 2020 run, 2021, he runs 1039. And then like a half a year later, he's running mm -hmm. 645. That's like insane. It's insane. So also in that race, uh, Jacoby, Jacoby Shelton of Texas Tech, 659. Mike Rogers was in there, ran 665. I guess this makes I me, mean, you got to say Jones is the favorite now, right? You had uh, Michael Williams, the reigning champion, number one, then Rakoi Braithwaite of Indiana, number two. Yeah, I mean, Michael, Michael Williams still ran well. Uh, you can't forget about that. He ran uh, at Spokane, and he ran 648. You know, so I don't okay, think so he's, Terrence Jones' he mark might... is enough to be number one. I think Michael Williams is still number one because he has the pedigree. He's been around. He has the championship experience, and 648 okay. is, is legit. Terrence Jones' mark does technically round up by – Two tenths of its uh two one hundredths of a second because it's at altitude. Right. So technically his mark gets converted to six forty-seven. Um but yeah, Jones definitely is now saying, Hey, I'm gonna finish top three. Yeah. He went from I have no idea who you are to I'm gonna finish top three at worst. Mm -hmm. Big, big name to, to keep an eye on. I mean, both the guys are listed as freshmen, Michael Williams and Terrence Jones. Yeah, I, I mean, it looks like that mark could get broken this year. Not saying, yeah, not saying I mean, much because he just he equaled it already, and it's in the middle of of January. But we can see that thing go down. I yeah, I, I was just like, what? That was stunning to me. And then I had to go back and look. Hey, has this guy been popping performances that I'm not like seeing? And then, as you gave his his CV for us, there it's like, nope, this was just crazy, crazy run for him. So fun times heading I mean, indoor 16. Yeah, and when you throw in Joseph Fambula and also, you know, Sean Masangangwe, like it, there's going to be other guys who are also going to be in this mix. They're mm -hmm. going to push Williams and Jones as well. Like it's not just a foregone conclusion. This is a Williams versus Jones final. Mm -hmm. There's a few other guys out there. But uh, <laughs> when your first race in college is – or was it, was it his first race in college? I mean, no, I guess he's a red. He ran outdoors. Freshman. He ran outdoors. He ran outdoors. When your yeah. first indoor race is six forty-five, it's it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. What else on the collegiate side caught your eye? Uh, Florida had some good performances. They had a a guy who I wasn't really keeping track of, a Dedrick Vanover, ran six sixty, pretty good. He's kind of a for Florida. Have another guy in the sixty after losing. Um, What's his name? Uh, I forgot his name. Oh crap! What was his name? He woke. Uh, Raymond Ekfewo. Yeah, yeah, Raymond Ekfewo. So they have that, and then also Jacory Patterson, who is a transfer from Virginia Tech. He ran thirty-one ninety-nine, breaking thirty-two seconds. That's an. It's just like a cool result to have thirty-one ninety-nine. That's just like a cool number to look at, right? Like, In a three hundred. In a 300, 3199 is like, damn, I like that. That's 3199 is like, is a cooler result than like 3195. Because mm. it's just like just under 32 seconds. I don't know. There's something about. Ja'Cory Patterson is basically. He's the Ryan Krauser of the indoor 300. Oh, yeah. Just all over the He's record. He's been doing this. He's he been, he been running fast 300s at Virginia Tech every year. Uh, yeah. And now he's 3199. It's up to that's close to the fastest in the world. I think Noah Lyles has the record, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he does. I think he ran like 31 8 or something like that. But yeah, uh, Patterson, he's going to be a 400 meter monster. Uh, there are some fast milers out in UW, led by Kirian Lum, runs 355. A few other guys were running low three. There's like, man, the mile, it's going to be insane. I mean, it is January. <laughs> 17 again and we already have eight guys who have broken four. Oh man you're still talking about breaking four i know but like i know 
Well, my, the whole point of that is talking about how breaking forward doesn't mean much anymore because we already yeah we eight, buried that like yeah we buried. Didn't it. we say okay. three fifty five is the new four? Three fifty five. Yeah, three fifty. Yeah, talk about how many guys are under three fifty. Okay, good. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So we have two: Gary Lum of Washington and Colton Johnson of Washington State. Both ran three fifty five. We do have the great uh, converter. The the best conversion of the day. We have Duncan Hamilton of Montana State. He ran a 405 mile, but because it was on a weird track and at altitude, it got converted to 356. So you got you runs a three a 405, but then T first looks at it as a 356. I love crazy conversions. When you can uh, you do can you do a conversion of the week for your NCAA show? I think that would be a fun, oh, yeah. like, ongoing segment. Maybe get a little music to play it, like, Gordon's conversion of the week. This guy ran 505 in the mile, and it converted down. <laughs> but he did it at altitude on an uphill 200-meter flat track. And he's qualified to NCAAs. The best is 5K conversions. There's this kid, Ben Perrin, from Montana State. He ran a 14-14-5K, which converted yeah. to 13-43. Like, almost 30 yeah. seconds. Taking off. Imagine being able to just chop 30 seconds off your 5K mark because of where you ran it. Now I get it. Altitude, it's, it's hard to run at altitude. And I get it. Flat tracks, it's harder to run on the curves. I'm not yeah. saying the conversion isn't necessary. But it is kind of funny to see a guy run 14-14, four, four, and then yeah. his time is 13-43. This is kind of funny. Uh, how about Matt Bowling? He had himself a little bit of a weekend, huh? Yeah, I uh, ranked him high up in the uh, the long jump for a reason. He starts off his season with a incredible long jump, jumping over 8 meters. Uh, what was his mark 8 exactly? 825, 27 feet, 1 inch. Bowling's going to be a legitimate score for them in the long jump. He ran a fast 200 as well. So he's going to be looked upon to score, you know, 16 to 20 points individually, you know, with, you know, two third place finishes or two first place finishes. Looking at the indoor all time to get into that top 10. Let's see. What is the mark? 827 gets you to the top 10. All time, collegiate record, eight fifty nine. That's that's some serious jump. And Carl Lewis went eight forty nine. This is indoors, of course. Um, yeah, but yeah. Bowling did it on he did it on his second attempt, and then he passed the next four. So you have yeah. to think if he is given an extra jump here or there, he could increase at eight twenty five. Yeah, he's at, that was fourteenth all time on the NCAA indoor list, and I thought the. I thought the 200 was solid, 20.49 in that same meet, Randolph Ross. Uh, won the quarter, looked pretty good there too. But I think bowling is just, he's going to be a factor in a number of events. Yeah, 100%. Which is not saying, which is not saying it, you know, much. It's, it's one of those things where like pick an event and focus on it, pick an event and focus on it. But maybe it's just he can do all of them at the same time. Now, he may not win the NCAA title in one of them, although that's looking pretty good in the long jump right now. But I think he's able to juggle all these events pretty well without one taking away from the other. Now, maybe that'll change as he gets later on into his career. But right now, he seems like he can do it. Yeah. And jumping has been uh, good on uh, on the women's side, too. We had um, a collegiate record in the triple jump. Ruth mm -hmm. Usoro of Texas Tech. She jumped 48 feet in the triple, which is 14.76 meters. Every time I hear like someone broke a triple jump record, I also kind of be like, damn, that must be good because I know that Couture Orgy was like dominating it. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this is yeah. going better than Orgy. This is like, that means it's legit. Um, yeah. So Ruth Osoro, so Texas Tech has the two fastest, uh, not two fastest, the two longest triple jumpers right now in the nation, both set um, this past weekend. Yeah. I thought the same thing just because I was around for when Orgy was smashing a collegiate record all the time and just pushing that event forward and then someone comes along and breaks it it makes you realize okay wow this person's legit because think about all the NCAA titles she won 
as well. So yeah, big, big jumps for her across the board. Um, she's one to watch for. Let's get some, I'm looking at the chat here for some questions. Uh, Anthony says, is bowling ever going to concentrate on an event or two, or is he going to go the Carl Lewis route? What do you think, Gordon? I think he's going to focus on whatever gets him the most success. You know, I think, I mean, I think he's going to, he, in college, he's going to do like the Grant Holloway route where he's going to be looked upon to score as many points for the team, right? Like Grant yeah. Holloway yeah. We, we, was a long jumper and, and four by four splitter and four by one leg. And now he's just a hurdler, right? As a pro. Mm -hmm. I think that might be the same thing with bowling. He's going to be doing everything he can to, get as many points for Georgia, but then once he goes pro, he's going to figure out which event is he best at and just do that. So, And right now, you could argue his best event is a long jump and not the 100 and not the 200. I mean, things yeah. might change as this year progresses and he shows that he can get some good speed, but I could see him just being like, hey, I can jump. I can, I just, he, he beat Stefan McCarter. Didn't Stefan McCarter make the Olympics? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. he's just beating an Olympian in the long jump. He's not beating any Olympians. In, I think it's a lot easier to make the long jump Olympic team or world team than it is to make the 100-meter team or the 200-meter team, right? Yeah. Like, can you imagine well, a world where Matthew Bowling is finishing third in the 200 or in the 100 this year? At this year, Worlds? No. I mean, no. at the USA's? No. No. I mean, finals, yes. The 100 is just so loaded, and I think – by default, exactly. the 200 is going to be, I mean, the 200 stock too. It's okay. You're going to beat Lyles, Bednarik. Well, Lyles has the bye. So you got to get ahead of Bednarik, Curly, Arian Knighton. Knighton. Terrence Laird is going to be in the mix, yeah. I think, too. I think Michael Norman might give it a shot. Not reporting that. Have no inside info on that. Just a feeling that I've been going with. Right. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking Fred Curley and Shrieka Jackson opened up Pandora's box when it comes to the sprinters, and now they're <laughs> dreaming about what's possible. What would you say was bowling's most memorable race in high school? I mean, it's between – I think it's his 4 by 4 anchor. I agree. And, okay, yeah. We got to talk about four by four anchors for a second here. Just overall four by four anchors, especially high school four by four anchors. Sometimes they look way cooler than they are because if you're running against People. inferior competition and your first three legs aren't that great and you're behind and you chase somebody down, it's spectacular looking, but then you actually got to look at the numbers. But in his case, the numbers were amazing. That was a sensational split. And I thought, hey, quarter for him maybe in college. But you look at, he hasn't really run it that much. I think that might be something in the future that he does a bit more as well, too, is the quarter. Now, long jump 400 double would be unique, to say the least. But maybe that's where his skill set lies. It's, it's hard to think about that, but he certainly can run a good quarter. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's like, hey, just get make the, long, make the 400 final, and then you're on the 4x4 four four pool. And then go yeah. make the team in the long jump, and then you just you have the opportunity to just get a lot of medals. Guess how many times he ran the four by four last year outdoors for Georgia? Outdoors. I don't know. Uh, once. Really? Just once. Indoors, he ran it at oh, SECs. Okay. He ran it. Yeah, he ran it at SECs indoors. He ran it at indoor nationals. He ran it at Tiger Paw. He ran it three times, four times indoors and only did it once outdoors how's that possible who ran the four by four secs for them not bowling I'm looking it up oh they, they ran like a b one. team yeah i think it's there's just... i think the situation was they were only going to run a good four by four if they had four good legs and i think it wasn't worth risking his individual events yeah i get it i'm not saying it's yeah, the four i'm not saying it's a bad i'm not passing judgment on it at all i'm just saying the opportunities haven't been there for him in the quarter now maybe they've seen enough in practice to know hey these are the best opportunities for him because 
his coach and he knows better than anybody else but it's just interesting we haven't we haven't seen more opportunities now he ran a bunch of them indoors but not quite the same thing as doing it outdoors um anthony asks bowling oh wouldn't bowling have to beat harrison for the long jump title no javon harrison went pro so he does not have to beat javon harrison um we got a question here from bill is gordon's hotel heat broken what's up with the puffer jacket indoors uh, it is cold. And as I mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago, I'm not good with thermostats, especially <laughs> hotel thermostats. Those things are like confusing to you. They're, they're like, uh, what do you call those things? Um, where you lock yourself in a room, like escape rooms. It's like an escape room type puzzle, the thermostat here. So I was like, I'm just putting a jacket on. Uh, it feels nice. I'm feels just nice. pumped. Feel, your internet works. Usually yes. when you're on the road, you find the location in the United States with the worst internet. And then you're like, hey guys, can you hear me? Doing an, uh, yo, check. I'm like, Gordon, where are you? You're like, I'm in a McDonald's pork parking lot in Corpus Christi. I don't know why the internet's not working. It's weird. Man, I miss those days when I could just <laughs> go to the beach because it's pandemic time and no one cares. He's like, oh yeah, where, where's Gordon? Oh, he's at the beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just when working from home was like, you could just do you whatever you do want. That. You could, I know you're you in Houston right it, now. You still do that. Come on. Am, what do you mean? Yeah. I don't know. There Did was something know? about 2020 summer where like working remotely was very, very casual, extremely casual. Everyone was casual about it. Now people are expecting more like, no, you got to do your, you got to do your stuff. You, can't be, can't, you, you can't just go sure walk into the office with a puffer jacket on basically is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Got to have some respect. Okay. Well, I think we ran through it. Was there anything else indoor wise? It's tough because. With the collegiates, you always feel like you're leaving somebody out. You're like, oh, yeah, collegiate right. But I think between bowling, Usoro, Jones, Patterson, you talked about the distance races as well. I think we covered There were some, like, low-key, like, fasts, like, off events that happened, like, in a 600 in Clemson. Someone ran 115. Cameron Jones mm -hmm. ran 115 in a 600. That's pretty good. Um, there was a good 500. Leander Forbes ran a 101. Again, these these marks sometimes it's kind of hard to understand what's good and what's not. Kind of hard to figure it out. But uh, I am looking forward to this upcoming weekend because now that they're off and running, this upcoming weekend we're gonna have you know two events live on Flow. Um, there's some other fast races going on at, you know, at Texas tech, at college station, Penn state's mm -hmm. having, having a meet. Um, but yeah, this weekend we're going to be live in Albuquerque for the Dr. Martin Luther King jr. Collegiate invitational today's Martin Luther King day, shout out Martin Luther King. Um, and then also the BU battle in Beantown in Boston. So maybe see some fast milers, milers and stuff like that, but we're getting, we're getting into the heat of it. I mean, we're yeah. only two weekends away from Milrose, right? So, yes. like, from now it, on it goes... until eternity, it's going to be boom, 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 fast, fast, fast. It goes very quickly from, hey, did anybody run this weekend? To so many people ran, so many people ran well that you need to pick and choose. Hey, we just, there's only time or space to talk about four or five, these four or five basically. And that's how I was feeling with the, once the NCAA stuff started going and you have someone tie the collegiate record in the 60, and then you got what bowling did. And then you got what Patterson did. You're just like, all right, this is, this is real. It's really happening again. We got full indoors at full go already. And it's the second week in January. Yep. So should be good. Again, two live events this weekend. Yeah. One in Boston, one in Albuquerque. And then we're also getting ready soon for the World Indoor Tour. So we have a bunch yes. of World Indoor Tour events coming up. Uh, the first one, there was supposed to be one that's, that was going to be this weekend in Paris, but that got delayed because of COVID. So uh, the first one on flow is going to be in Germany. Carlos. Carl's. Carl's. Carl's rule. Carl's rule. Germany. January 28th. Live on flow. It's going to be great. Yeah, so anyway. the international fields will get going, and the United States, obviously, the collegiate meets provide plenty of opportunities for 
the pros and the collegians to run fast. So exciting times indeed. We'll be back Wednesday. Email the pod, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment. Subscribe to the Flowtrack Podcast YouTube channel. And follow the Flowtrack Podcast on Instagram. We're putting up some reels. There's some reels there. The young people like the reels, Gordon. We don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm old. You're too old, but the young people like the reels. So check them out. It's like TikTok. It's like TikTok, Colt says. There you go. Actually, we're on TikTok too, by the way. That's actually a real thing that I found out. Yeah, I found that out last week. I'm a TikToker. Listen, this was a big, this was a big weekend for me because uh, D'Amato and Sarah Hall right around my age. So I felt really seen this weekend in terms of what you can accomplish. Um, but then I go on TikTok and I realize I don't understand anything. So follow us there. It'll make me feel better. Thanks to Colt. Thanks to Travis. See you Wednesday.